Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca. And I'm excited to welcome you back to the next episode of the Adapters Advantage podcast. We're here with Mark Jeffries. Mark is one of the most accomplished event hosts and speakers who travels all over the country, helping to facilitate large meetings and even teaching people how to do what he does. Today, he's going to be sharing some of his key insights about what's changed in the event business since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic and specific ideas that you can take away as you think about adapting what were live meetings into the virtual realm. So Mark, welcome. Mark, thank you very much for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. And uh, yeah, normally you're right, I do travel around the world, but for the last three months, this basically is my world. I'm actually up in my attic in the house in the uh, Boston area. And um, it's amazing how you can quickly pivot and change. And I know we're going to talk about that. But yeah, the traveling bit, I have to be honest, I miss a touch. That's, uh, well, I have to tell you, I actually miss you traveling as well, because I really enjoyed these point of view videos that you were publishing from all over the world. And uh, really just the style of being able to sort of feel like you're in New York, you're in London, you're in one of these cities, and be able to tell a story in a short period of time. So I want to jump right in, Mark, with the question, because you do lots of different things, when someone asks you, so Mark Jeffries, what do you do? What do you say? Well, my business really splits three ways. And, and it's amazing because I could never have planned it to be this way. It's just the way it's ended up being. So the majority of my work, we'll just talk about normal times, even though we're all virtual now. The majority of my work is I found this remarkable niche where I've ended up being the host, the MC, the moderator for some of the largest events in the world. I mean, it, I can't even believe I'm there half the time because it's just so crazy. But I'm talking about events like uh, Oracle's Open World, IBM Think, uh, Ernst & Young, EY Strategic Growth Forum, the Entrepreneur of the Year events, some of the biggest events uh, that happen anywhere. Um, I'm lucky enough to be invited to come along and to, to be their, their face on the stage, just to kind of run the, the show, do all the interviews, uh, have panel sessions, keep the audience engaged, draw all the ideas together, um, sit down and chat with celebrities. So that's the majority of my work. I'd say probably about 65% of what I do is hosting those huge meetings, which normally you're right. You get on the plane, you go to Vegas, you go to Orlando, go to Frankfurt, right. London, Sydney. Now I'm still hosting those events, thank goodness, uh, but it's all from a, a camera. And now the rest of what I do, there's a lot of keynote speaking. I, I've become, um, I guess people tell me that I'm an expert in influence and communication and the way people share an idea and how they present themselves and those ideas. And so I do a lot of speaking around those topics. I've written a couple of books. I'm working on a new one now. And that is something that seems to be always in demand because it's one of those topics that you can really deploy to any audience. You could have a group of C-suite executives. They need to know how to better communicate to their teams, to their stakeholders, to their uh, investors. And you could have a team of new recruits 
who've only just joined an organization, they need to know how to better position themselves to start to climb the corporate ladder or, or to make real change within those organizations and for their customers and clients. So that's a lot of what I do. And then finally, to your introduction, I actually work with uh, a, a smallish number of very senior execs and, and some leaders out there as well who just want to improve the way they come across. Uh, and that's something I, I really enjoy doing as well. So, Mark, just to give people a sense of scope here, because until I knew you, I didn't fully appreciate this. A conference like IBM Think, how many people participated in that IBM Think conference? Well, in person, we would get something in the region of twenty to 30,000 people who would come along. And I would find myself not in a ballroom, no, not a conference room, but in an arena, like an arena with seats that go up the side and go all the way to the back where they normally do big fights. And yep. you walk out in an arena and it's just the most bizarre experience because number one, you can't see anyone because the lights are so bright in your face, but sure. you know there's at least 15,000 in there. And number two, you... Um, you can't hear your voice like you normally hear it. Even in a ballroom, there's a touch of echo, but you can handle that. In an arena, it takes so long to travel to the back wall and then back to your ear. It's just this relentless confusion. And so it's, it's a different skill set. But in terms of scope and scale, yes, those are some of the biggest events. And then, of course, you have the virtual offerings, which normally run alongside. And there's tens of thousands more watching it in other locations. But that, that's not all I do. I'll often do events where there's just five or 700 people, which I now term intimate, uh, because it, <laughs> when you get used to the big numbers, those smaller numbers feel like quite, quite familiar and cozy. But yes, and honestly- How big was the, the live, the, uh, this year's virtual one? Say again? How big was this year's virtual IBM? Oh my goodness. IBM Think, the virtual offering was huge. Uh, to, to my understanding- they had over 70,000 registrants. Now, in the, I'm not privy to the final numbers, but there was a ton. And it was amazing because <laughs> I watched it go out uh, on my computer here because we pre-recorded virtually every part of it. There were a few elements that were live, uh, but my bits had all been pre-recorded. I'd interviewed Amal Clooney and a group of other people. And I watched it go out. And as I'm watching it, I'm seeing all these tweets come in and all these LinkedIn invitations. And it was just like a stream went right to my head. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, we're going to come back to your idea about pre-recorded because I think you have a really important point of view. And you also have a lot of experience doing this at a scope and scale that many people just have never done. So even as we come back to the first part that you talked about with respect to the kind of the second bucket of what you do around influence and helping people to come across, it turns out that that skill set, from my perspective, is as important and in some ways even more important now that so many more people are having to do this, what you and I are doing right now, being able to communicate through a camera rather than in person. It's a completely different skill set, and yet it retains a lot of the lessons you'd have learned from the in-person world. I, I try and define it for people in a way that is, is quite easy just to instantly understand. Back in the in-person world, which we are returning to, of course, it's all about theater. You're yeah. big, you're on the stage, you walk around. The same is true in a boardroom or a small meeting room, even at a Starbucks. You know, you can, you can gest gesture and you can be a very big, a big person with a big message. That's theater. Whereas on camera, everything is different. It's all about the face and it's more cinema. 
You think about movies that you watch, you see every reaction, every emotion in the actor or the actress that you're watching. And that's what this is. And so instead of being that big onstage personality, suddenly it becomes more intimate, more personal. And you have a chance now to make a different connection with people. Because think of it this way, you are sitting there, you're telling them about your solution, your software, your idea, your creative, and you're in their home. You're on their desk in their house or in their apartment. You suddenly become part of their world where they feel most comfortable. And it is a different experience. And so you do have to position yourself as, as a more approachable, friendly, and familiar person than the big stage personality that you might have. And for a lot of presenters out there, especially the senior execs, it's, it's quite a tough challenge to make that shift because what this is not is taking a live onstage event and, and shoving it into a webinar or virtual format. You have to change every aspect of it because this is a different receivable. Mark, that is such a critical piece. And I, I want to, I think our, our listeners will really benefit from your perspective on this because for so many meetings, that's what people thought they were going to do. They had a certain roadshow. They had everything set up with a certain number of participants. And they thought, okay, we're just going to flip this over to being a virtual meeting. And, and in the same way that a theater actor who's used to being on stage and performing in one way, when they go on television, it's a very different dynamic, even to the extent of how you use your hands and gesture in front of a camera. So a couple of quick insights from you. Given your background in television, what is it that, what was the most important thing that you learned from being on television that is applicable now as you're doing so much in front of camera? So a couple of things. First of all, it's the whole eye contact thing. The lens is quite scary because it's this dark, unblinking eye just staring <laughs> at you. And what you have to do in your mind is you've got to look at it and think, you know, you're my friend. Yeah. And I'm talking to you like I would my friend. And I'm using the same gestures, the same expressions as if there was a human in front of me responding. Right. And of course, there isn't. Right. No one's responding to me. But what's interesting is when your eyes wander, as they often do to look at notes, et cetera, it's more pronounced on screen. I'm going to look away now. And for those people watching it, you know, it's very obvious that I've looked away yes. on stage doesn't really matter so much if you go from one member of the audience to another, to your downstage monitor notes, back to the main part of the audience. Yes. But on camera, it does. So you have to make yourself uncomfortable. You've got to retain that eye contact. Um, second thing that I remembered from television, and it's so important now, is lighting. Like I would say I'm probably quite well lit now. The reason is I've got one, two, three lights around me because that's what that's called three-point lighting in television. Yep. And I've also got a backlight. And if you, again, if you're watching this, you'll see I've got a kind of blue tinge light at the back just to make it a little more interesting. I don't have hair, but if you did, you need to have what's known as a hair light, a light that's off to the side and it kind of lights your hair a little bit, adds some definition. Why is all this important? Because the more easy on the eye your picture, I'm not saying you've got to be good looking because clearly you don't. But what I am <laughs> saying is if it's easy to look at, if everything is well-defined, it's clear, it's in focus, it's well-lit, it's not backlit, you're going to have people choose to watch you for longer. Yeah. If you sit in front of a window and you have a bright light behind you and you've got one lamp to off to one side trying to compensate, it's not good enough. It's going to look weird. People just become uncomfortable watching that. And so they, they move away. Um, and then there's one other thing. 
a lot of what we're doing right now, and I know we'll talk about it, is pre-recorded. And you have to think about the people that will take the pre-recorded result of your work and do something with it, the editors. Yeah. So what happens is you will do your piece, you'll finish. And at the end, most people make this mistake. They'll go, so there you go. That's uh, all my ideas for this year. Thank you very much. And then they'll look away. Now, if you're an editor, there's no point for you to clip. And I, I do this. No one clips anymore. There's no point to put your kind of blade, your digital blade, to yep. make a nice clean end to that video because you looked away too fast because you weren't considering what the editors have to do afterwards. So my golden rule, they call it handles. Before you start, look at the camera for a count of two and then begin. Do your whole piece. And when you're finished, most importantly, look at the camera for a count of two. Just like that. That is great, Mark. That is another thing that for people who don't have any background in video editing, it's, it's a very logical thing that people wouldn't remember. And the interesting corollary to what you just described is if you are doing the interview, so I'm sort of playing your role right now, it's remembering that your face is still telegraphing a message, even if you're not talking. And so being engaged with the person to whom you are communicating or listening to is just as important when people are looking at a screen versus someone who's off distracted or looking at something else. Yeah, if you're part of a panel, because I think a lot of the people watching this are, are part of business, they'll be appearing, because that's what this is now, it's all TV, on some type of virtual broadcast. And if you're part of a panel and you've done your bit, there's a temptation to go, all right, well, I've done my bit now. I'm just gonna go over here and look at my phone. Yeah. But you're still on and everyone can see you. And so you just got to remain interested. And by the way, the in-person world, it's a great tip to remember. If you're on stage and you've done your bit and there's other people on there with you, you've got to stay intent and focused and watching every speaker to show how interested you are. Because if you show that you're not interested anymore, everyone in the audience sees it. And Absolutely. then they come to conclusions based on that. That is, that is a great point. So I'm going to get to the pre-recorded in just a moment, but I want to ask you, what's the biggest distinction that you've made between the in-person live events that you were doing and the virtual setting? For, for our listeners, what's the big aha beyond uh, what we've already covered? Well, it's kind of mostly sort of disappointment because the in-person world, it's not just about that onstage moment. It's about the wow feeling of being in a room with someone sharing really cool ideas. It's about the follow-on networking. It's about gathering together with other people who've just had the shared experience, and then you talk about it with them. And so one of the big realizations is that in the virtual world, to try and come close to achieving that same feeling is hard. Yeah. It, it's almost impossible. Now, you can do a lot in the virtual world to get close, you can have distinct chat rooms where people are talking about a very specific topic area that appeals to you. You can try to recreate some of the networking effect. And to an extent, that can work. Uh, you will always miss out, though, on that feeling of being there, on that moment, that shared experience. And so what it means, and I guess this is the big aha moment, is you have to create a much more compelling visual event. And so I see a lot of keynote speeches right now that are basically webinars. And a webinar is a huge slide deck. So think of the real estate of a screen because everyone's watching us on a screen, right? You might put everything into your live event, but people are watching it on a laptop. Right. And so that's the screen. So think of the real estate of that screen. A lot of webinars that you see are 90% the slides 
and 10% a little square with the presenter in it. That's a great point. Right. And therefore, what are you losing? You're losing the personality. You're losing that, that image. You're, you're losing that human connection. So there's another wow moment. I have started to advise my clients to reshape the look of the experience. It, it, at the absolute most, half the screen is the slides, half the screen is the presenter. And then we get to what I call advanced format. And I'm trying to do this as well. I'm doing a fair few keynotes on either the art of presentation or the art of business influence. And what I've done is I've pre-recorded whole elements of it. And I have the slides coming up when I want them to be looking at a slide. And in the edit, I turn them off. I have graphics coming in and sliding. I have lists that build next to me. I move yeah. myself from big full frame to just off to the right with words to my left or words to my right. I turn it into a visual experience. And there's a good reason for that. And the reason is when we're watching a laptop screen or a computer screen, we're watching a visual experience. We're watching a TV show. And if you just show a slide for five full minutes, it is boring. It's dull. It's a switch off moment. You get a notification slide in. It's very tempting to just go, I'll, I'll just read that email because right now nothing much is happening here. However, if you switch that, if you make the content visually compelling, there is far less uh, desire to go and check that notification that just popped in because you don't want to miss a thing. That's such a great point, Mark. And uh, we actually followed that approach with our S3, what we call virtual showcase, which was our event. We had over 700 people uh, who joined us. And we used several of these ideas that you're talking about, including um, having my co-founder and I uh, on the screen with the slide so that it wasn't just all of the slide, but there was some interaction. I was interviewing him like what you and I are doing. And then that last piece, I think, is a, a real important framework for people to be thinking about is the recognition that people are watching this on a small screen. And so if the person has shrunk down to a one-inch item, then you can't even see their, their facial expressions, not to mention if they're watching it on an iPhone, as an yeah. example. You might as well just be audio. Uh, and in fact, on that topic, and I think a lot of people are missing this, as part of the virtual experience, I think there's a lot of buildup you can do. And one great way to build up, to do a little bit of marketing, in addition to the cool mini videos, and you know how much I love doing those, is this, is podcasting, but not in video form, in pure audio. A podcast is so easy to take with you. So the demand on someone to sit in front of a laptop for an hour is, say, X. But right. the demand on someone to download an audio podcast of 15 minutes of really cool, interesting content that's going to tease up what's coming in the main event, that demand is X divided by two, right? Yes. It's much easier. You put your AirPods in, you go for a walk, you can take in that content while doing something else. You can be emptying the dishwasher, taking the dog out and still taking in the content. So I think this medium, the podcast medium to me is actually really valuable and a bit understated. We're all obsessed with the big podcasts like Joe Rogan and the food podcast, which I love personally. But mm -hmm. we in business can get a lot of information across in a well-produced, nice, succinct podcast format. So I'm going to just add one build on that. In addition to the power of the podcast as what I'll call the setup to sort of set the stage before the bigger event, one of the things that we found, and this wouldn't necessarily be relevant with your super size of 70,000 people, but in the much smaller groups, and many of the meetings are smaller than that, um, with just over 100 people, we had a, a wine tasting event at Allego, and every employee in the company received a kit 
basically with three bottles of wine. And what was remarkable is we had a sommelier come on, but we all then had something in common. So even though we were separate, you know, when all of the participants on have this thing in common, we're watching this person and the person saying, okay, now open this bottle. Now you're going to pour. Now you're going to do this. It was a really fascinating difference to engage people going back to the comments you made about sort of keeping people's attention. Well, you know, you know what that is? That's a shared experience. One of those things that's missing in the virtual world and you were able to reinstall it. Um, I did on my podcast, the, the Mark Jeffries event podcast, uh, I interviewed um, Dahlia Elgazar and she told a story about how, how one of her clients had a smallish virtual event, about 50 people. But what they did was they organized for DoorDash to deliver a pizza to every single attendee's home Wonderful. at the same time. Yep. They all went and they took a break, virtual break. They all came back with their pizzas and they carried on stuffing pizza into their face and they were on the call. It was great. And, and we, we've, I heard the same thing uh, with cupcakes being delivered. Like, but all of a sudden, that becomes a very cool shared experience and one that you remember that's in a way that's quite different than just another Zoom call. Agreed. Yeah, I like that. You've got, you have to make a difference because, and that's the other thing, everyone's doing this now. Uh, if I hear one more uh, corporate go, we've gone virtual, like it's a bit of news. It, you don't have to say that anymore. It's like right. saying we drink water and we breathe air. Right. It's like saying our web address is www. <laughs> yeah. right? We don't need to do it anymore. We yeah, got it. We, we know. So let's talk about this piece around pre-recorded because I think there's still a lot of misunderstanding Mark, uh, out there around events where people have this concept that if the whole thing isn't live, you're somehow not going to engage people. Can you help expand people's mind around your experience of how you use pre-recorded content along with live interaction? All right. So this isn't necessarily the right way to do it. This is just the way I advise my clients. And it's what I've seen most success in. Because the risk of failure with a full-on live event is so high, it will just keep you awake at night forever. And what I mean by failure is, if you have participants in a live virtual event and one of their Wi-Fi uh, boxes goes down, or one of them has a power cut, or one of them has a huge noise interruption, your whole event, everyone sees it. There's no right. way around that. And the likelihood of any of those little things happening is high. I was doing a pre-record. So, so this was a client of mine who wanted to do this event live. We all talked her around into not doing it live. And so thank goodness she, she agreed. And we were doing the presentations piece, all pre-recorded. And during her presentation, which was great, by the way, all her smoke alarms went off in the house. Uh, it took 10 minutes to shut them down. We're all sitting around waiting. We had to stop the record. Then 10 minutes later, when she had restarted her presentation, a fire truck turned up. They weren't expecting that. Blaring its horn, we all had to stop again. Oh, man. That sort of thing is a risk you don't want to take. So, that's that's non-recoverable, right? When yeah, you're basically. Alive, you, you well, can't even in, get away from that. In all honesty, that's what people then talk about. You know, right. they're not talking about the content, the value, the solutions. Right. Did you see? Did you see the look on her face when the fire department came? It was a fire truck. Yeah. Um, so what do you do? So my advice is you pre-record as much as possible, especially the really vanilla bits like the intro, the outro, the guidance, the logistics. Get that all pre-recorded. If you're going to do some interviews, some high-level interviews, pre-record those as well. That's so easy to do, just like we're doing right now. And then if you want to do anything live, 
because you want to get that feeling of interactivity, do Q&As live, live Q&A with your audience. You have a variety of people all on, you Zoom them in or your Teams them in or however your platform does it. And then you take questions that are coming in through a chat window or through Twitter or however it might be. But, and this is the big but, you, if you'll excuse me using such language, <laughs> this is really important. You're, you're playing it out as live. This is not going to be just a set of videos you put out for people to watch whenever they want. You advertise the date and the time. It's going to happen at this moment. You want people tweeting. You want hashtags. You want interactivity as people are watching it. All of your top team are going to be tweeting and adding to the conversation online while the event plays out in real time, even though it's pre-recorded, with maybe a bit of live for Q&A. That's, that's just my advice. Doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And it could evolve. I'm doing an event tomorrow where I'm, it, we're, we're running it as live. I'd say three quarters is pre-recorded, but there's a whole bunch of live stuff that I have to do at exactly the right moment. It's a little scary, but uh, it's how the client wanted it. So that's what we're going to do. So Mark, one of the things I can add to that uh, for anyone who's questioning the efficacy of this, in addition to the fact that we just did it and had uh, a very successful event that was exactly as you defined it. It was pre-recorded with a live opening, live Q&A, break, come back live, and then uh, watching, uh, in our case, what we call the trailblazer presentations. But if you, if you wanna wonder, well, who else does this? The entire television industry during the time we were growing up, virtually everything was pre-recorded, right? Seinfeld's show was pre-recorded and then played at eight o'clock on, on Thursday night. And most of us, even if you had a VCR in that time, you still watched it live. So it was the live thing that brought people together. So the other point you just made, I think is critical, is you don't then share everything that you needed to attend. Otherwise you've just cheapened the currency mm -hmm. if people can get everything that they could have gotten at the event afterwards. Right, no, I agree. And I think, although I probably wouldn't use like, you know, I, I listen, Seinfeld, I'm a huge fan. I wouldn't use that so much as an example because so much has moved on and changed and, and everything is so interactive nowadays and news happens as it happens via Twitter. I, I still think that you do not have to be there live talking because what you're going to deliver is a less than compelling visual experience. And so you have to always consider your, your audience, your viewer, what do they want to watch? And the fact that it's live will look worse than if it was pre-recorded and you added tons of value to it for their viewing pleasure. Yeah, I, I agree. So let's move on to um, another question and I'm interested to your response. And that is, um, given that most of us learn best from our own mistakes, what's one big mistake that's taught you a valuable lesson? I wouldn't say it was a mistake in as much as it was a misunderstanding. When I started in the business, I felt it was all about, you know, performance, my performance on stage, how, how, how impressive could I be with my words and, and, and how, how much could I remember and, and how impressed and how, I guess how compelling I could make it look on stage. And my realization was it's not about that. It's about your connection with your audience. It's about having people who were sat there looking at you going, you know what? I, I like this person. I could actually spend some time with this person. This person is speaking my language. That's the most important aspect of the event space. And I think a lot of people forget that. They turn on presenter mode and they're using lots of SAT words and they're trying to advance themselves to a level that, that doesn't, doesn't really look real, doesn't reflect who they are. 
And I say to my clients, I say, be the person you are, but just turn the notch up a couple of bits when you're on stage. Now, interestingly, when you're virtual, you don't have to turn the notch up that much. Right. You just have to be you. You have to be real. And I've now become a lot more settled in my presentation style. I don't try so hard, if that makes sense. It does. Because what people buy is the natural you. Well, the reason why I'm very curious to your perspective on this, Mark, is that you've interviewed so many celebrities. You just mentioned Amal Clooney. Um, and, and obviously, you know, she doesn't necessarily have a background like her husband as an actor, but Will Smith and, you know, just so many well-known people. I'm curious, what have you noticed about them when you're sitting, uh, you know, face-to-face -face across from them, all of these live events that, that you've done over so many years, what have you noticed about the ones who come across most naturally and authentic versus the ones who may be talented actors, but they just don't perform well in that kind of a setting? You know, when a, when a company buys a Will Smith or a Serena Williams or a Richard Branson, uh, it's a lot of money. Right? It's a huge investment in what is, in effect, a wow moment. And those wow moments, people remember them forever. Your audience members leave the event and they're like, wow, I, I can't believe it. Right? There, was, there was Michael Phelps. There was Serena Williams. There was Will Smith. I've done Will Smith three times, so I keep mentioning him. Name drop. <laughs> However, the real edge is in the celebrity or the personality who can tell a story because the stories are just so resonant. People love to hear a really good story and they love to hear their favorite celebrity tell that story. So the more stories they tell, the more they give you like a behind the scenes view of their world, the more compelling it is. Serena talked about her little dogs and how she feels before going out onto the tennis court. People love hearing that stuff. People love Will Smith, just he, he performs his stories and he puts so much passion into them. I'm sat right next to him. He's sweating while he's telling his story because <laughs> he puts so much energy into it. Every so often he can't help himself. He stands up with his microphone. That's the real value. Yeah. Then there are the ones that just answer your questions and they don't make the effort, right? They don't try. You don't really learn anything you didn't kind of already know. Uh, and that to me is, that's a couple of steps down. Still a wow moment, but it doesn't quite have the same... Uh, sticky effect. So the beauty of what you're saying is for almost any executive or quite frankly, almost any presenter who's in the virtual realm that we're discussing, just that capacity to have a few stories that you can share with the audience that are compelling and being able to deliver them in a natural and authentic way, that can make all the difference. Oh my goodness, without a doubt. In, in both my presentations, the one on presentation and the one on influence, I have whole sections dedicated to the power of the story. And the reason a story in business is so important is because people remember it. We all remember good stories. Right. Nobody remembers a chart or a statistic. No one goes, do you remember that pie chart you put up last week? Right. I love the way those segments were, you know, the different yeah. colors. <laughs> yeah. But everyone remembers a story. And if you remember a story, guess what? You can retell it. And if you can retell a story, then it becomes viral. Right, so this is the way to get your message out there. And I always, I always do a little joke to illustrate how important stories are to humans. I say on stage or on camera, I say, you know, when I put my little daughter to bed, Skylar, she's seven years old, and I tuck her up, she never says to me, Daddy, show me a bar chart. <laughs> right. She says, no, Daddy, tell me a story. Yep. And the most amazing part is it can be the same story that you said last night, and it's still compelling. Yes, it really is.
That's great. So Mark, I have time just for a couple more questions. Um, just going back to what the majority of the audience is experiencing right now, whether it be in a work from home environment or dealing with this COVID pandemic in one way or the other, what do you think is going to be the biggest way that uh, this pandemic is going to change the way people come together going forward? I think the short, look, I'm, I'm no doctor and I'm no future teller, but I think there are going to be two effects. And it's funny because people are splitting into two types right now. There are those who are desperate to get back. And you can hear it in their voice. They're like, yeah, screw it. I'll catch it. Whatever. I need to get on with my life here. And then there's the other half who are like, there is no way I'm going to take any risk. I don't want to be a danger to anybody else. I'm going to stay locked down for as long as humanly possible. And given that there is this kind of divide, I think what we're going to find is that the nature of work will, for the foreseeable future, change. I think a lot more people will choose to work from home. I mean, we've already now discovered how successful we can be from a home base. And there'll be those who will absolutely choose to be back in a working environment at an office. I mean, we lose so much when we're not surrounded by other people. We know that. And I think the meeting industry will also change. I think we are absolutely going to go back to, to live events. Without any doubt, they will be smaller at first. And what we're going to see is a very distinct hybrid model. And the hybrid model is not about putting on a live event, throwing a camera up at the back of the room and just showing everyone what the camera sees. No, the hybrid event is going to be its own self-contained event connected to, joined with, reporting on the live event. And so I think we're going to see a very interesting combo of live and virtual. But I think as time goes on and as we return to a, the, the normal human way, which is humans love to connect and be together, we love this. We don't crave solitude. I think we will see a return to the live event business. I think we'll see a, a return to a, a working environment where people are together sharing ideas and concepts and stories. But it's going to take some time. That's just my, my prediction for what it's worth. Well, it's very consistent with uh, what we're hearing across our own customer base and our own experience. And so it will be interesting as time uh, marches forward to see what happens. But I think it's a safe bet that the events that do happen will be smaller and that there's a huge opportunity here for firms to differentiate themselves to do that last part that you just described well. And that is to make the hybrid event a different experience for people who are, who are not there in person but a one that's useful and valuable to them versus just the camera in the back of the room, which really makes you feel like you're not even part of it. Absolutely agreed. So Mark, uh, as we wrap up, I, I do want to tell you that um, in a small way, through a Lego, you are absolutely contributing to better presentations everywhere in the world because a short three and a half minute video that you recorded for us is now in literally every single customer system that's, being shared all over the world. So with several hundred thousand users worldwide, on everybody's uh, Lego app, when they open it up, there's presentation tips from Mark Jeffries. And even though we believe in the concept of YouTube, not Hollywood, there's a few simple things like the ones you've mentioned here today in terms of how you hold the camera, the importance of lighting, really simple things that once you get those, you can consistently make the most of this medium. So I want you to know how much we appreciate that work that you've done for us. And um, if people want to learn more about the work that you're doing as a host, or even some of the, the coaching and other things you've talked about, what's the best way for them to reach you? All right. So three ways. Number one, the website. And it's really easy to remember, markjeffries.com. 
right? Um, the other way, of course, is the way most of us connect in business. Just find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm always happy to get new connections uh, via LinkedIn. And if you're interested in imagery, I'm on Instagram too. Fantastic. Well, Mark, listen, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you. A lot of great ideas here, and it will Thank be you. a lot of fun to circle back with you uh, in a year's time and see how many of these ideas have really played out uh, based on how things develop. You bet. Mark, thanks for the time today. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.